Alex, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show. This episode's been a long time in the making. Glad to have you here. Glad to finally be here, Lewis. Great to see you again. Great to meet you, Kyle. Hell yeah. We met at the magazine back when I was working at Bitcoin Magazine and for listeners of the podcast for a long time. A lot of that came about because we interviewed the CEO of Bitcoin Magazine, David Bailey. And then when I moved to Nashville, had kind of re-encountered him in person and I didn't have a job and kind of led to uh, the serendipitous life path that through a series of events led me to being here where I am now. But Alex is someone, yourself, that I met along the way and just really connected with and uh, respected the the work ethic and the intensity and really just both like the variety and quantity of things that you're contributing to. And so I just kind of always have had you on the radar so to bring on the show. And then since, you know, we have that personal friendship, I never like feel as rushed to make this happen because I'm like, we'll get to it. And this year I was like, you know what, we got to make it happen. Yeah, man. Life's been getting interesting too. I'm kind of glad we waited. Um, it's like the, the perfect time to <laughs> sit down and talk. Uh, you know, we also had a jujitsu, common interests of, uh, of sports, you know, jujitsu, watching MMA, pretty good time. Exactly. So you mentioned that you are living very remotely now. What motivated that decision? I've, I've always enjoyed living outdoors, not, not living outdoors fully, but just like having beautiful areas around me. I grew up on a large kind of track of timber and farmland, spent my whole childhood hunting and fishing and running around outside. I was living in the city, um, outside of New York for the last two years, which was kind of fun and interesting in its own way, but it's really claustrophobic. I hate living in apartments. Um, I hate not having my own kind of privacy and space. And as a Bitcoiner, you get a lot of uh, weird, like public Bitcoiner threats and like doxing and stuff. So mm. it's not to say to cower away from that, but I do have kind of family I want to take care of. And we do want to have kind of uh, our own peace and privacy and not be bothered by anybody. So this is kind of the best way to go about it, I think. And it's beautiful. Like America's so beautiful wherever, like any little part of the country, you can kind of find a haven and go off and do your own thing. Yeah, just time moves slower, more freedom, you know? Yeah, it's crazy how cool, you know, some aspects of the world are, because I'll let you, you know, speak to the projects that you're involved with and really just lay it out for everybody. But the fact that you're doing that from somewhere that you said, you know, there's not really much nearby. I don't know what the nearest XYZ is, but it sounds like it's not close. And the fact that you're still kind of contributing to three different, you know, fully global projects is crazy. So like, tell us a little bit about the the roster of like the current set of projects for Alex because it's never a short list. Yeah, I I do three things primarily. Like first and foremost, I work for um, Bitcoin Magazine uh, or the Bitcoin Conference, as you may know it. On the event side, there program their conferences. So you know, love them or hate them, probably responsible for whatever uh, you know stage and appearance you enjoyed or are protesting. So a lot of a lot of multimedia stuff with Bitcoin Magazine, a lot of like bringing in speakers, speaker liaison, programming, kind of the panels, the keynotes, talks, you know, we brought in RFK, Tulsi Gabbard, like a lot of political stuff lately as, you know, as the primaries are heating up. Um, even more controversial things like uh, ordinal inscriptions, you know, the really fun stuff like ARC, Layer 2s, um, sidechains. But the, the main goal there is really to just educate and foster a, a big Bitcoin community, right? So we throw the biggest events. We have the most Bitcoiners in the world in one place at one time. Um, it's kind of the best place to get a job or get like a foot in the door in the industry and meet people. So there's like endless fun times to be had at that company. And I just I love it to death. It's like the best job in the world. On the side, I work also for Lightning Ventures. We invest in Bitcoin startups. That's what we do. 
with uh, my good friend, Mike Jarmuz. We're having a great time of it. There's so many amazing kind of companies getting off the ground and we're just kind of exploring that eternal question of like, what is a Bitcoin company and what companies are going to go, you know, public and foster great kind of ecosystems themselves outside of miners or exchanges. Like those are the ones we know right now. Like, okay, like miners and exchanges are like the two viable Bitcoin companies. We think there's more. Love to be proven wrong, but we're making investments into great companies left and right very, very early. And I think, I hope what we're known for is really spending time, like basically on a month to month basis with all of our companies and connecting them where they need connections made, whether it's with people, with like hash power, like whatever it is, we've got their backs and we're just trying to help them grow in whatever way we can. We've got amazing. A uh, little team over there at Lightning Ventures, just kind of doing the thing day in, day out. So that would be, uh, I guess, project number two. And then third and final, I work um, on the Jack Dorsey's Noster Unconference series, or they're becoming more like conferences now, but a series of global events dedicated to promoting the Noster protocol and kind of the freedom of engineering and freedom of speech on Noster. So the first one we did was in Costa Rica, had about 300 people travel all the way to the middle of nowhere in Costa Rica and hang out on a basically a hippie compound and and then put on an unconference. So people got up, talked about whatever they wanted, talked about there are a lot of engineers and devs there, um, new businesses that were created as a result of that, new Noster improvement kind of proposals and ideas. So it's just kind of a beautiful, really software heavy experience um and right now we're solely focused on our next event which is being held simultaneously in hong kong and tokyo we'll never go to the same place twice so after that we'll pick another place somewhere on earth that we believe needs uh no sir needs more free speech and we'll go there well it's certainly an impressive list uh lewis and i started this podcast in march of 2020 and i think that in March of 2020, you were a professional MMA fighter. And so that's a, a, a lot of things to accomplish and to do in a very short amount of time. And I know you mentioned a foot in the door. How did you break into this industry? Like, what do you contri- or attribute your um, kind of last two years to? Just a small correction there. I was not a professional MMA fighter, but I, I lived um, in a professional MMA training academy at high altitude with the best MMA fighters in the world. So I trained alongside them. I fought alongside them or had them coach me, but I was on an amateur level. So I've never never been paid outside of sponsorships to, to, to fight anyone. Had innumerable gym brawls and barn burners and, and, and fights outside of that. But uh, yeah, um, I guess to answer your question, like MMA, jiu-jitsu especially, like Muay Thai are things really near and dear to my heart. Um, they helped me get sober when I was a lot younger and, uh, you know, just find an outlet for like all of my energy. I like didn't grow up very, especially athletic. So I kind of discovered fitness later in life in my twenties and I've been really enjoying it ever since. So like, I'm kind of person, like when I'm interested in something, I just dive all the way in. Um, so pretty early on in that path, I started having my first, second, third, fourth touch points with like Bitcoin. My brother, my younger brother was making a lot of money trading and using Bitcoin. 
And I was looking for early on a way to supplement my income because I was, you know, training full time. You can't really work when you're training MMA full time. It's just, it's too uh, physically exhausting. It's very time consuming. You have three sessions a day, different practices, and you're watching video when you're not at practices, basically. So um, I thought I could like make it as kind of a day trader. And then I started to learn really like how money works. I'm still learning to this day how money works, how Bitcoin works. Like what's the difference between Bitcoin and crypto? And I got lucky enough to like meet the right people. A lot of the people at Bitcoin Magazine were essential in that, you know, Pete Rizzo. Uh, CK, Bailey, um, just uh, essentially and kind of steering me into the right path. So uh, I guess to answer your question, my first job in the space, I edited uh, the Bitcoin standard for Saifedean. Um That was like a pretty um, intense experience that really put me on the Bitcoin only path. So early on there, like a couple cycles later, I've been working with him, just editing his books and, uh, you know, just getting more and more involved in the community and strengthening my conviction in Bitcoin and uh, learning as much about it as I can, really. What motivates the, I'd say like intensity to, you know, I feel like if I just had one of those jobs, right, I feel like I'd be contributing to the industry in a meaningful way and contributing to the causes of like censorship resistance in terms of both currency and speech and awareness of these topics via, you know, coordinating events. What motivates the need to or the desire to really just have what seems like an extremely full plate? Maybe I'm projecting a mild degree of like overwhelm from how I feel like I don't think I have space to add much in terms of like doing those types of things. Like why the full is it just you go crazy or you just like start twiddling your fingers? Like why do you like why so much all at once? Yeah, just I, I like to stay busy. Um, I think part of that is like I've just always been that way. I like uh, like I was really obsessive about music and art growing up. So all I did is like play guitar and draw for like a decade and realized like I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know how to work. I did not do anything. Um, so I got really interested in kind <laughs> of tech and like working remotely. And then I discovered like you can do all sorts of things at once because I don't have clear work hours and I don't sleep very well. So I'm just like up all day and night. It's easy to contribute to a bunch of projects, but it gets a bit much at times. But like, I know that we're like kind of the side of light and good here between Bitcoin and Noster. And I know what it's done for me. It's changed my life completely. Went from having like absolutely no savings to just feeling completely blessed and like safe and, and, and ready to kind of like start a family and just, you know, get my own space and just it's can do amazing things for people. Right. So I've experienced that myself. Um, like I said, there was like this sobriety component of like, if you replace kind of like, you can't just like take out like bad behaviors or habits, you have to replace them with something. So a lot of that energy went into martial arts. Um, but then I kind of learned how to channel it into other things. There's no money in martial arts at all. And I think we all have kind of innate desire to want to accumulate wealth. So that's a big driving factor of it. Not going to lie, like really obsessive about just making as much money as I can to take care of my, me and my family. I don't know, working really hard is a great way to do that. Let's talk about some of the things people might be less familiar with in terms of the underlying topics. So uh, we've done several episodes. Like we said, we had David Bailey on the podcast in 2021. We had Guy Swan on the podcast in 2020. We've talked about Bitcoin. We've had plenty of people be like, this is the Bitcoin pitch. This is the Bitcoin story. This is the benefits of the Bitcoin ethos, ideology, lifestyle, worldview, whatever you want to call it. What specifically in terms of the other two components, obviously they're all interrelated. What is the 
kind of high level explanation for the importance of the lightning network. And then secondarily, kind of the, the Noster movement and kind of like the, the quickness of that. Cause really selfishly, that's a lot of the motivation for me with this specific interview is like, I just haven't taken the time to dive into Noster despite right. All of the ideological overlap that would make me predispositioned to be someone to dive into it. Right. I understand software. I'm a Bitcoiner. I've worked in Bitcoin and I'm still kind of just like, and I'm a Twitter user and I still haven't taken the time to dive in. So like, why is that the case? Or what am I missing out on? I guess to cover the first one real quick, Lightning makes Bitcoin very um, fast and scalable. Like that's the thesis on its surface as a layer two that doesn't change the underlying protocol. There are different implementations and ways to go about that. But I think if you're going to, I guess, give the proverbial orange pill or show someone how to do use Bitcoin, you can blow their mind by doing it with Lightning because it's instantaneous. It's virtually no like fee-less. Um, if you're running payments over it, um, and it's kind of beautiful and it's designed the way it works. Um, there are a lot of problems with it as well that I hope people want to start to address and take seriously. And honestly, I hope that we start to get some more, uh, competition in the layer two market to really spice things up. I mean, I don't like this idea that we just invest all in on lightning and don't consider any other options for scaling and kind of more efficient global onboarding. Um, I guess on the Noster side of things, I think there's like, we all have like really limited time and it's, you, you, you want the protocols you use to be social proof to a certain extent. Like there's usually someone or some event that happen on those protocols before you jump over to them, unless you're like seamlessly integrated from like uh, Instagram over to threads or something like that, or you're big Zuckerberg fans, you sign up for threads right away. Noster is different and like more robust than all of that because Noster really harkens back to the early days of the internet when things were just protocols. Like you had to find information, like it had to be sent to you somehow. And so we had to agree on a means of communication and a railway to send that information back and forth. You might think of email as one early example of that that really took hold. And you have hundreds if not thousands of different um, email providers and companies that can help you kind of facilitate your your email communications that's sort of like what noser is basically just uh it stands for notes and other stuff transmitted by relays so there's the the interesting thing about it is it's decentralized you can run your own server you can choose what kind of things you want to see. So in some sense, you you can't be censored, but individual clients can spin up their own versions of the protocol and how you interact with them across those clients can be a vastly different experience. There are clients out there that mimic almost what Instagram does. They're more visual heavy. They're more photo based. A lot of the early Nostra clients so far have been almost replicas of Twitter, but What's different is no one can pull your NPUB. There's no identity, kind of like self-identity required. Anyone can spin up a private, public key pair and start to use Noster. So you can't be disenfranchised from the platform because of something you said. Now, within certain clients, people might be able to mute you or choose not to view what you're saying, but that's it, right? I mean, that's that's no problem, right? So I think what you'll see is rather than these like monolithic companies that are feeding you algorithms. Ultimately, their goal is to sell you advertisements or to sell you a premium experience, right? Those are the only two models for social media that we know. Either you're being fed this highly addictive 
algorithm interspersed with ads that are sort of like tailored to suit you. I never find they, they hit home very well, but they, that's the, that's the intention. They want to serve you as many ads as possible, keep you on the program on a steady diet of ads so they can, they can collect their checks. Or as you'll see with like Twitter, um, you pay a subscription if you want exposure, you pay a subscription, verify your, your real world identity, which is catastrophic consequences for people all over the world, by the way. I mean, that should never be, you know, I, the only thing identity is just reputation, right? You should be able to build a pseudonymous reputation without having to fork over everything that will get you doxxed and surveilled and can kind of screw users in, in countries that are, I guess, less fortunate than we are to have kind of as much freedom of speech as we have, if you know what I'm getting at. So Noster uh, circumvents all that and allows, instead of the monolithic company kind of ad or premium model, it allows you to build the experience you want. And anyone today can go, it's completely open source and spin up their own Notion client and start to build their own application. So, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. That's a huge step forward in terms of free speech. It's definitely not perfect. It's definitely not super like far along in adoption. You know, it's got a really long way to go and it's going to be an uphill battle. But the people that I see on that protocol using it are diehard. Like they're, they're, they're in this for life. They're going to use this thing. I use it exclusively as my social media. I don't post on any other social medias or have them on my devices anymore. Um, because it gives me all I need. Now, everybody else has to make that assessment for themselves. But at the very least, it takes about two seconds to spin up a private public key pair and start using it. Um, so I'd recommend everyone try it out. It's it's super fun. And Bitcoin's integrated with it in all sorts of interesting ways um, if the client chooses to implement that particular version of it. So you may have heard of zaps, like instead of likes. Uh, it's a way of transmitting rather than kind of virtue signally likes and favorites and little hearts. You actually send economic signal to content that you like. So content creators are directly, can directly monetize their content with no trusted third party and no interference or censorship. It's a beautiful thing. You may have heard recently the app store is threatening to pull all the clients that don't get rid of the apps. I mean, that's how it's like actually probably the most groundbreaking innovation in social media in the last like couple of years that I've seen the zap model. So if you haven't used it, you know, jump on there, go somewhere like primal, you know, primal.net and uh, spin up a handle and start experimenting, you know, connect your wallet through Albi and start sending zaps. It's super, super fun and, and, and just life changing if you're, if you're a content creator. Thank you for that overview. It's interesting. Um, I want to check it out now. i frankly had not before this at all um but by that that description it sounds like a conference would kind of be not something that people that tend to want this sort of decentralized trustless environment would want to go to it's like i I love this app i love the my ability to be uh pseudonymous but now i'm going to go and dock myself to all these other people that love this app as well or love this this platform as well is there any truth to that yeah yeah absolutely um one of the tenants like core kind of theses of our events is that they are nim first so if you are a pseudonymous person and you don't want to divulge your identity i mean you can still come we don't require anything from you these events are free all we need is an npub which is effectively your user hash it's unique to you 
Um, that will get you a ticket. We'll send it to your DMs. You don't have to put your name, your email address. There's no personal information exchange here. Um, you may want to volunteer a name or something like that, but it's not required. All we need to know is that you're on Noster and then we can send you information. So surprisingly, people turn up to these things. We had a really interesting solution last year where we actually streamed out the whole event in Costa Rica and we gave everyone lanyards. And there were two types of lanyards and we used AI to create like an anonymous lanyard. And when the camera would, like if you'd walk in front of camera with your anon lanyard, blur your whole face out. Now, people that take their privacy super seriously, some of course didn't come to the event at all. The creator of Noster uh, himself, uh, Mr. Fiat Joth, didn't come to the event, but he did join us virtually to to talk to us about the history of Noster and kind of criticize some of the directions it had grown since he had, um, I guess, passed on the reins and uh, other people have, you know, created their own implementations of it. So I guess to answer your question, there's like, I think there's something at the events for everybody, but if you're if you're that privacy conscious that like you don't want to be seen in public with other Bitcoiners or Noster people, and there are a lot of the same people, then yeah, I would say just just join us virtually. You don't you don't have to come in person, of course. But, well, it sounds uh, like you thought about it with a AI based lanyard that that blurs out your face. Sounds like uh, this isn't the first time that's been brought up. Yeah, man, we uh, it's very important to us. We have a lot of NIMS on the team. I mean, you can see, I think there's a picture in Forbes of like Jack Dorsey, me and Rockstar. If you know Rockstar in the Bitcoin community, his face is completely covered up. You, nobody, you know, you don't know his real identity. He's just there. He has the bandana on him. Exactly. He's speaking like any other person, yeah, yeah. just, just dropping knowledge on people and nobody knows who he is. It's, it's great. Um, yeah. I mean, we have heavy, heavy security there too. So I, I hope that everyone felt, felt safe. Actually, I have a funny story about that. Do you know Tatum? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So between two ethics, Tatum, right? He came to uh, Costa Rica. And it's it's like hot as hell out there. And he's wearing his... Oh, with his vest, vest and his whole outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's wearing his outfit, but not the whole outfit. It's too hot. He's just wearing his vest and like some swimming trunks. And he's just like walking around the event in this bulletproof vest. And I get like three security guys like plain clothes, like come up to me. They're like, do you want us to take this guy out? He's wearing a fucking vest. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I pull up YouTube and show him the show. I'm like, he's great. He's harmless. He's like the most gentle guy. It's just a shtick. Like, this is very funny. But yeah, shout out to Tatum. Tatum's been a fun one to watch. I met him because I, when I worked for Pomp, I went through the training program and I was in the same cohort as Tatum when Tatum was just on the come up and just like, so it's been a cool like to watch him from just like a guy in the Pomp's training program interested in getting more involved in the industry and like learning about it and educating himself to like, really skipping a lot of steps and not in like a in a bad way i don't think there's much he like sometimes people associate skipping steps with skipping important things to have like learned or accomplished but just skipping a lot of bs steps to yeah. building reputation and just by being super authentic the whole way through definitely yeah yeah he's one of my favorite uh of the the noster power users great guy since i left the job working with pump unfortunately a lot of my you know just awareness of the space is kind of deteriorated at least to like the level of standards it was when i was involved right when i was working at the magazine and living with people from the magazine it was like constant immersion and that's less so the case these days which is you know for good and for bad what would you say in terms of like 2023 2022 besides noster because i think that's a huge development kind of in the adjacent spheres of like overlapping interests and maybe like the conference this year like what is the big what's big so maybe the story of like 21 2021 2022 is like the first 
nation state stories, right? Like El Salvador and some additional kind of big government approvals or things that are perceived that way. Again, everyone has their opinions of like what things meant. But what is like the big new stories, motivations, like things that are like, what were people excited and chatting about in 2023 at the conference? Uh, political candidates taking donations in Bitcoin. It's not the first time it's happened, but, you know, a Kennedy himself, pretty exciting. And if you're pretty apolitical like me, I mean, not interested in voting for any of these people. I think they're all liars. Um, I'll be interested to see down the line if they put their actions behind their words, but to see them show up, it's just a great thing to see. Obviously, the other big kind of development that's super controversial is uh, inscriptions, you know, ordinal theory and then inscriptions on Bitcoin, allowing you to preserve bits of data on chain. Some would say spam the chain like an NFT, just put digital artifacts on chain and keep them there forever. Um, Super interesting, super hot topic, been a big issue this year. Uh, What else do we have? We have a spot. Bitcoin ETF still looks like it's going to get approved from BlackRock. I'm not terribly interested in that. I would never buy that. That's not Bitcoin. I wouldn't recommend people buy that. But if you have a huge retirement uh, stack built up and you want some tax advantage, like Bitcoin adjacent instrument, maybe that's the move for you. Exposure to the price action, theoretically. A little bit. Yeah. But I think the, um, the real use case there is for institutions that can't by mandate hold bitcoins for like firemen's pensions it's for like companies that don't know anything about custody or could never get board approval rather than just buying MicroStrategy or like riot or you know hive or hud 8 or something they can actually buy spot bitcoin hopefully in the future here so that'll be pretty um good from a price perspective bad from i guess other perspectives where i feel a lot of people are going to get duped a lot of older people who are now not going to put in the time to learn how to custody their own Bitcoin. But to be fair, I mean, that was always the case. It was never going to be 8 billion people self-custodying Bitcoin at home. So I'm a big proponent of like some exposure is better than none. And it's a step function improvement to be involved in Bitcoin in any way versus being kind of um, totally in the dark about it. So it's, yeah, they're like anything, there are trade-offs to some news like that. I got to tell you, I'm kind of out of the loop, man. I'm, I'm not on Twitter, so I, I miss a lot of whatever people are angry about you know, <laughs> these days, thankfully. So I don't, I don't really know what's going on. In terms of the venture side, we didn't really cover that very much yet. What's, I guess, maybe it's either yours or the, the thesis of the fund. Why are there opportunities outside of the, the two you mentioned, right? Mining and exchanges. Like, What are the types of services in this industry that you're bullish on You know, traditional companies being formed around? Because this is different from the, to what you said earlier, right? We're very having a distinct conversation of Bitcoin versus crypto. And these are companies that are companies. You're not investing in DAOs or like kind of that very crypto-esque model, that non-Bitcoin crypto-esque model of like how those startups tend to be governed. These are like traditional companies that provide a service related to the Bitcoin protocol that you think will be economically viable into the future. I guess I'd mention first, this is a highly risky endeavor. And you're definitely going to encounter losses. (laughs) When you get into the venture world, you're going to see some companies and some brands that we, you know, know and love get the shotgun blast to zero over the next few years. And that's okay. Um, competition's good for everybody. I think the, the, the core thing to remember here is that you're not investing in Bitcoin. You're, you're making a bet that these startups will outperform Bitcoin on, on, on the same time scale, which is usually about you know, five to 10 years. So 
highly risky, not for everyone. You got to have a super high risk tolerance. You got to be a little bit kind of like arrogant or, or dumb to do it. Um, but you're investing for those one or two companies who at the margin are going to bring you an outside outsized return of the tune of, you know, 10, 20, a hundred, maybe even a thousand X. So nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, we're all just kind of working in the dark here, excited to see, but there's, you know, it's been going great so far. Um, I guess to get into what kind of products and services some of these companies offer, like I said, a lot of them, the ones I love the most tend to be like Bitcoin only exchanges in corner, Swan Bitcoin, to name a few, um, people that help you self custody your Bitcoin and interesting and, and really, um, transparent ways. You know, you've got the coin kites of the world, big, uh, big cold card guy. Um, you've also got competitors. You've got foundation devices, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, ledger and, and Trezor who are doing, um, crypto custody solutions as well. You've got crowd health, Bitcoin kind of crowdfunded insurance. You've got crowd. Kyle, have itself. you heard of crowd health? I haven't, but I okay. understand I've taken it. the concept just from him saying that. It sounds really interesting. Is that how? Yeah. How's that work? I've done a bit of a deep dive on crowd health. I'm very interested in crowd What's health. What's your take? So I listened to, we did an interview with Neil Sony on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. Really, we did it in March and published it a couple of weeks ago. And for everyone listening, this is July. So that's, that's the chronology of the Lewis and Kyle show behind the scenes. And he brought it up on the interview. He also talked a lot about Fountain, which is just another good shout out to include in this episode. It's kind of similar to Zaps, but live streaming value to podcasts and some things like that in terms of, you know, economic, I like how you call that economic signal for the fact that you enjoyed content or that something was worthwhile. Crowd health is an alternative healthcare model. And again, I, I like to be very cautious. This is, you know, something that when we interviewed Brandon has stuck with me, Brandon from Bitcoin Magazine, Red and Green that the, the the Bitcoin worldwide is so impactful for so many people. And, you know, something that you kind of just, I'd say, left somewhat unspoken, though you, you did elaborate on it a little bit in terms of like, you know, it taught you the value of saving and the value of like these other ethics that may, tr you know, roll over into other areas of your life positively. But one of them is, you know, not, not that distrust is a virtue, but when you pierce the veil, that's the specific kind of term. When you see like your first large scale gaslighting, if you will, in terms of like, some collective efforts to perpetrate something that is just in hindsight or once you've kind of made the realizations just so obviously not true to the extent that you just become a bit of a natural skeptic and it's like that's what he refers to as piercing the veil so all that to say when i said healthcare to describe the healthcare system i still personally don't even like using the word healthcare right because the word healthcare implies that the system exists to facilitate health which has become lost in terms of the purpose for many of the companies uh, even if, you know, the individual agents within that think that's what they're contributing to, it's like the mass effect of the system is not contributing necessarily net net on, you know, better health outcomes. And of course, those are very difficult things to describe in terms of the the complexity of the system, which is like another very Bitcoiner thing, which is just like when a human thinks they fully understand the scale of what's going on within a complex system, you're speaking to a very arrogant human who, you know, overwest overestimates their ability of knowledge. And that comes back to central banking and just kind of the whole Bitcoin thesis. Anyway, crowd health is an alternative to, for lack of a better word, traditional healthcare business models or incentive structures and dimensions of designing like how those ecosystems work such that, you know, when a bad thing happens to an individual, not everyone's collectively screwed up based on all of the different dynamics of that marketplace. And the idea is that they also try to find you what you need and negotiate on your behalf 
and basically don't have the same. It's all about just understanding the perverse incentives of traditional healthcare and trying to build a system that does not have those same flaws. And then a lot of the, the Bitcoin integration of it is that some of the funds up to 75% for individuals, to my understanding, can be stored in Bitcoin. Yeah, that's a good take. I, I have yet to try the service myself, uh, invested in it, but I haven't had healthcare in years. Sorry, health insurance or, or, you know, been to a doctor or dentist in a very long time. I, I share some of the kind of realizations that you just shared, um, which would be that they're there to extract a lot of value out of you for very little, um, in return and get you on kind of a perpetual pharmaceutical regime from which a lot of people never escape. And I found it's much easier to bet on yourself and stay healthy. Not for everyone, not for people with young children usually or, or, or big families, but there's, there's alternatives out there. You know? There's there's a lot of ways to take care of yourself that don't involve going to some doctor that just looks things up on a database anyway and is just basically guessing what's wrong with you. <laughs> I don't know why I had to go there, but like, there's there's so many beautiful kind of different companies that are exploring how to integrate Bitcoin products and services in our lives, whether it be ads, um, telecommunications, uh, virtual private networks and privacy, like you said, fountain content payments, um, lots and lots of payment um, providers and kind of solutions to make navigating the world easier. You know, because say what you will about, uh, you know, fiat, we all hate it and yada, 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 but it does work on 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 low enough or uh, quick enough time scales like i need an airport ticket i'm putting in my credit card boom like there's it's it's useful it's pervasive it's everywhere we have to build like lots and lots of competitive products and services to um win people over and they've got to be easy and we've got to make the user experience a lot better than it is right now to get people you know transitioning to a bitcoin standard if that's the goal. So I guess that's, that's mm-hmm. just more about what we're, uh, we're all about at Lighting Ventures. I love it. Um, one thing that I've been thinking about recently is the irony of Satoshi's, um, vision or, or work, kind of this miraculous moment, um, creating the opportunity for CBDCs to exist. And, um, I think it's very important to kind of, preach about the dangers of CBDCs and um, what can happen in a world where they're proliferated. And so I'd like to hear your, uh, obviously, the case against CBDCs um, and kind of give that to our audience to put it in their head. Sure. Um, I mean, CBDCs are objectively worse money than fiat even if you call fiat money and not just like debt instrument kind of slave tokens. The only way that CBDCs will be adopted in a broad scale is they're going to be coerced on people or they're going to be highly malincentivized to use them. That means you're not going to be able to pay your hospital bill without using a CBDC, which is programmable money. I mean, I think a lot of people, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think a lot of people are naive, right? Like a lot of people will just naively go with it. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not that's just a form of coercion, though, like just gaslighting, that's, that's I guess, a bit of a silly debate, but... I don't know what the future holds, but these things are being developed and implemented around the world, and it gives governments more control, and it gives you, the user, less control, and what you end up with at the end of the day is non-neutral money, like even more biased money than fiat currency, which is useless 
for people trying to empower themselves and have savings and hold on to something in a world where, you know, the lower and middle classes just can't get a break. It's like, you know, you're being debased by 20, 30, 40, 50, 200 percent, depending on where you live, just through inflation and second order effects of that you're being taxed 30% plus. It's like, okay, so that's like six to eight months of my year that are down the drain. What what else can I have left? What you have left is uh, this sort of government surveillance coin that has an expiration date, that has geographical boundaries on it to further reinforce a sense of state and to reinforce propaganda that the government wants to put on you. You can buy things here, but not here. Let's bump the economy here. You're driving too much. You've used too much of your daily allocation of CO2 and oxygen today. So your car is going to turn off here and you can't get any more electricity or gas for it. There's just some horrible kind of sci-fi scenarios. Like it's not hard to extrapolate once you start having a programmable changing money that's non-neutral. What's going to happen to populations and what, how that benefits the people in power. And, you know, you think about the ways they're going to try all sorts of things to usher it in. Ultimately, I think people will realize like on a large scale that this is objectively worse for me and worse money and I don't want to use it. And it's just as sort of, you know, the Brits or even here at home, they slowly try to get rid of cash, which you can use uh, fungibly to purchase things that, you know, for good or for bad, the state doesn't know about that. I believe that that is something you should fight for. That's a, that's a right that we should have. Right. So this is something that Bitcoin already solves for, for, for all of those problems. It's it's neutral. You're not going to get disenfranchised from the Bitcoin network. You know, we're not going to hard fork on you and leave you behind, hopefully. Um, so you can run older versions of the network and you're still good. We're not changing the rules on you. We're not moving to, you know, proof of stake and obsoleting an entire multi-billion dollar industry of of, of miners they're it's there for you and it's by rough consensus and no one's in charge of it and everyone's in charge of it so it's a beautiful thing i think the case against cbdc's is is obvious but i'm, I'm kind of nervous to see what comes down the line and whether or not i'll be forced to interact with them at all in my lifetime i hope yeah lewis yeah, and i a- we l- love the concept of optimistic media and like spreading you know a, a good message a- as opposed to kind of like messages that are uh, tainted by perverse incentives, which are, you know, getting clicks, et cetera. And I think that while talking about CBDCs is not necessarily something that's optimistic, I think the fight against it is very important. And so that's why I bring it up and I appreciate you kind of spelling it out there. I think it is obvious, but the thing, it's very hard to remember what it was like to not know something once you know it. And I think, you know, uh, Bitcoin, as big as it's gotten, uh, still only permeates a certain percentage of people's brains. And the ability of the state to spread a message and to permeate brains is, is uh, unmatched. And so I think that uh, spreading the message against CBDCs is important. Yeah, I was just going to add that, you know, to your point about, you know, investing for user interfaces and things like that. The precondition is ideological alignment in terms of like Bitcoin users understand why it matters to be doing this. They're bought in to the fact that it you know is important and essential, not just important, but essential that something like this survives and exists. So then those are the people who don't care that like, you know, in obvious tiny ways and 
you know, Bitcoin is quote less convenient. Like on a, you know, a matrix of all of the different metrics, it is like not does not outcompare money in terms of like there are certain things that are obviously easier about handling physical cash than there are about handling Bitcoin. And certain things that are easier and whatever, but it's like when you're bought into the mission and like the not even the mission, but like the the premise of everything that you're doing, it's like I don't particularly care that this is 10% XYZ slightly worse changes, you know, in the short term in value and fluctuates because that is like the price to pay for the the bigger cause. And that's why you play that role, you know, with the media company as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like often cited in the Bitcoin community, like it's important to remember that there are no solutions here. There's only trade-offs. So the best thing you can do for yourself is just educate yourself about what actually you're working with work with fiat money and what we're actually talking about when we talk about Bitcoin. And you can determine what trade-offs you want to make for yourself and your family and your loved ones, you know? Um, for me, I'd hope that the people around me want to take a little more personal responsibility in exchange for that, they get much more freedom to move about the world and accumulate wealth and, you know, preserve it outside of the hands of the state, which will, will always stab you in the back every time. <laughs> Let's do one or two bonus questions. This might have been before we started recording. Are you still on carnivore diet? Are you animal-based exclusively? What's what's that look like? It looks pretty carnivore-heavy, especially with where I recently moved. I mean, I'm eating a lot of elk, a lot of bison, a lot of... Um, have like a local strain of Wagyu, which is fantastic. You know, they brought some Japanese cattle over here and they're doing a great job of ranching them. And I can pay for all that, buy it from a rancher in Bitcoin. So kind of unbeatable, like wild boar, you know, typical Angus beef. Um, so I eat a lot of meat, not exclusively meat. I mean, I have my, my vices like anybody else. I love ice cream. Um, but generally after, uh, you know, a good jujitsu practice, I, I usually cook up, um, like 90% meat based meal and eat that. I drink a lot of, uh, raw, That's raw funny. milk as well. I'm a big raw milk guy. Yeah. Raw dairy is next level. Kyle, what were you going to say? I didn't mention it earlier, but one thing that uh, people, I, I guess, perpetual listeners of Lewis and Kyle show, I don't know how many of them are out there, but there might be a couple who uh, have yeah, noticed a trend that I've brought up before. And it's like exceptional results musicians. that come from people who um, have the ability to focus. And that focus usually is crafted by years of playing music, music. Uh, is there's a number of different guests that we've had that were musicians that went on to do really interesting things uh, in a, a relatively short period of time and spent you know tons of time focused on their instrument and were able to uh, translate that into other areas of their life. Uh, how do you think that the guitar affected your ability to focus? Yeah, would it, I think it certainly helped. Um, first of all, you learn how to learn when you teach yourself an instrument. I don't have any classical training, can't read music at all, but I can hang and play with anyone. I mean, love guitar, piano, any string thing. And it's because it, if you spend that much time doing anything, you're going to learn how to learn, which is great. But you also learn um, pattern recognition and how to approach things somewhat systematically, or at least I did for guitar. That really helped me in discovering kind of the, the, the patterns and the sounds and the real, the color that you want. You have to spend a lot of time going through rote miscellaneous exercises just to, to, to have that discoverability. And if you can do kind of the boring stuff somewhat methodically and you can read and write, 
I mean, you couldn't take any job. Anybody can craft a CV. You can, you know, talk your way and social engineer your way into anything. So it can be useful to approach things from that perspective and just say, look, this is going to be a lot of work. I only have this much time on my hands. This is how much I'm going to do. Just break it down, knock it out. You know, one thing at a time. I love that. I want to end with one question I wrote down. Besides Tatum, uh, I'm curious if there are any other shout outs for, for up and comers. So maybe in 2020, if you're like, y'all got to watch out for this Jack Mahler's guy, you know what I mean? I'd be like, really good point. And who are some kind of like young up and comers? Obviously it's relative, right? So like, I think just about anyone on the Bitcoin magazine team has a lot of potential and that's kind of something they select for. And I still think, you know, David and Grant are both like underrated people, but anyone else that is kind of up and coming in the space, people should be watching out for saying a couple of years, that could be the, the Jack Mahler's of you know, the 2024 conference or whatever. Yeah. My, my good friend, Mike Charmoz, certainly. And I, I mean, this guy knows everybody, helps everybody that works harder than anybody. It's very, very underrated Bitcoiner. Also Will Kasserin, if you don't know that name, he created Damas, probably one of the most beloved, um, Noster clients. I mean, he pushes updates for that thing, like during meals, on planes, just wherever he is in the world, he's just constantly developing this thing. Uh, he's got Marty Malmi, um, of Iris. You've got Milian of Primal, which is a, a client I personally love to use for desktop. So there's a couple, couple Noster names for you. Some great up and comers, but man, there's hundreds more. Like that's the great thing about Bitcoin adoption is like we've captured a huge percentage of people who are like perpetually curious and open and like those kind of people I tend to think go on to do interesting things um, just because they're so open-minded and willing to learn and they don't they don't hold on to their beliefs too hard so they can change and adapt and, and grow and just 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 build beautiful product projects so there's a lot of great people out there hell yeah so where are you most active right now? It sounds like it's Noster. Uh, people Google your name without taking them to the right place. They need to first and foremost set up on set up a Noster via clients, get a public private, and then find their way to you. What's what's going to work for the people? Yeah, I, I guess Noster. I don't know what would happen if you Google me. Don't do that. But uh, yeah, go to Noster. I'm, <laughs> I'm really active on there. I'll definitely find you. The funny thing about Noster is there's no like centralized server. So finding people can can take a little bit. So you got to follow, branch out of your comfort zone and follow a lot of people to get to know the community and make sure you're hitting, you know, a couple good relays so you can see more of the content. But there is no global feed in a sense in Noster, right? You just, you discover what you can discover. And um, usernames, it's fun, but don't work either. So you'd have to get the end pub. I'll send you my end pub. You can put it in the, in the show notes or something. Okay, perfect. Well, this has been a good time. Glad we could catch up and uh, thanks for coming on the show.